Let's continue reading Joshua chapter 11. Now in this chapter, we have the account of the northern campaign of Israel's conquest of Canaan. And then at the end of the chapter, we have a summary of the entire seven-year conquest. Joshua chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hetzor, heard these things that he sent Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were from the north, in the mountains, in the plains south of Shinaroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east, and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Miram, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the brook Mizraphoth, and to the valley of Mizpah eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hetzor and struck its king with a sword. For Hetzor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms, and they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hetzor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hetzor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And at that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Let's begin chapter 11 of Joshua with some background notes. By the end of Joshua chapter 10, we see that Israel was in control of the central highlands and the whole southern half of the land of Canaan. 
Only the north country remained to be conquered. Here in Joshua chapter 11, a coalition of kings from the northern half of the land of Canaan joined forces and prepared to fight against Israel. They gathered together by the waters of Miram. That would be northwest of the Sea of Galilee. But the intelligence branch of the Israeli army was right on top of their movements, and Joshua decided to attack them with a preemptive strike. I mean, why wait until the coalition was fully organized with their chariots in battle array on some plain where the enemy would be most effective? Joshua attacked them in the hill country and completely demobilized them, crippling their horses and burning their chariots. Then Joshua attacked Hetzor and burned it with fire, as we see in verses 10 and 11. Hetzor was like the Jericho of the north. It was probably the largest city in Israel at that time. The stronghold of Hetzor controlled the whole northern half of the land of Canaan. But God gave Hetzor into Joshua's hands as well as the rest of the cities of the north. Notice verse 13. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, or tells, that is, in the north, Israel burned none of them except Hetzor only, which Joshua burned. Now that verse is significant because it indicates that Israel didn't burn all of the cities. So throughout the whole conquest, we only read about three cities being burned, Jericho, Ai, and Hetzor. The rest of the cities were taken over by Israel and inhabited. The Tel of Hetzor has been excavated by archaeologists, and there is a burned layer that dates to the time of the conquest, thus supporting this biblical record. Now, just a couple of more background notes. In the summary of the conquest, we read in verse 18, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. From the chronological data given to us in the book of Joshua, it looks like the conquest was about seven years. When we read these chapters at one sitting, it's easy to get the idea that the conquest was only a few weeks long. Not so. It was a long time, seven years to be exact. In verse 20, we read that it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that is, the enemy hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, and that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy. What's going on here, anyway? Well, this is very much the same as, you remember, in the case of Pharaoh. God hardened Pharaoh's heart after Pharaoh had hardened his own heart. Listen, God had given the Canaanites plenty of time to repent and change their ways, but they would not. They hardened their hearts against God. And so now God hardens their hearts, and he brings in Israel as his rod of judgment. Well, so much for background notes. Let's move now to our doctrinal or teaching points. Doctrinal or teaching point number one. Faithful warriors don't fear numbers. Faithful warriors don't fear numbers. Verse four says that the armies of the north were as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. Now that's hyperbole to drive home the point that Joshua and the army of Israel were far outnumbered by the armies of the north. And they were outclassed in technological strength as well. The enemy had many horses and chariots. Israel had none. But Israel had God and the promises of God. So faithful warriors don't fear numbers. Look at verse 6. God not only promises victory, but he tells Joshua exactly what to do. 
Joshua is to hamstring their horses. That is, cut the tendons to cripple the horses. Now, why didn't God tell Joshua to capture the horses and chariots and start a branch of cavalry in the Israeli army? One reason, certainly, is so that Israel would keep trusting in the Lord and not in their own military strength. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Do you see the spiritual lesson in all of this for us? Remember, Joshua is a handbook of spiritual warfare for the Christian. All the enemy opposition in the book of Joshua represents and illustrates spiritual opposition for the believer today. Just as the northern coalition of pagan enemy forces totally outnumbered and outclassed the army of Israel, so the spiritual opposition we face in the world today appears to be far superior to the small Christian community. But faithful warriors do not fear numbers, because God is on our side, and one plus God is always a majority. As we go out each day to face the world and other forms of spiritual opposition, there's a tendency to be scared, because we're in such a minority. Listen, there's no need to fear because God is on our side, and God has not given us a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 God has ways to hamstring the horses and burn the chariots of the opposition. Faithful warriors don't fear numbers. Doctrine point number two. Faithful warriors do not fear giants. Faithful warriors do not fear giants. In the summary of the conquest, we read that Joshua cut off the Anakim in verses 21 and 22. The Anakim were the giants that Israel had feared when they spied out the land years before and showed unbelief at that time. I'm reading Numbers chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. What a difference 40 years makes. They were scared then. Now the children of Israel are faithful warriors and the giants are no problem. Only a few giants were left in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. This is the area, by the way, from which Goliath came from years later. But the main point here is that Israel no longer feared the giants. Now they did not see themselves as grasshoppers. What made the difference? Their eyes were now on the Lord and not on the giants. When your eyes are on the Lord, giants look like grasshoppers. It's all a matter of perspective. Faithful warriors do not fear giants. Let me ask you this morning. Do you fear giants that you face in spiritual warfare? What about the fear of losing your job when you let it be known that you're a Christian where you work? That can be a giant. What about the fear of dying? That can be a giant that Satan uses to make you doubt your salvation. What about the fear of loneliness or no security in your old age? That certainly can be a giant that keeps you from enjoying your blessings in Christ. Listen, there are no giants that can't be brought down by faith. Just be faithful and watch God work. Faithful warriors don't fear giants. Now, what about practical application? Do you know what rest is all about? Do you know what rest is all about?
In verse 23, the last verse of the chapter, we read, Then the land rested from war. What does that mean anyway? It certainly doesn't mean that all the land was possessed by Israel. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, There remains very much land yet to be possessed. And we certainly know that enemy forces continued to exist in the land. Read the book of Judges in this connection. But still, at this point, it can be said in Joshua chapter 11, the land rested from war. The conquest was over. The backbone of the enemy was broken. Now it was only a matter of mopping up operations and cleaning out the pockets of enemy resistance. Do you see the application in all of this to your life? You can come to the place in your Christian life where the control of sin and spiritual opposition is no longer overwhelming. It doesn't mean that you no longer sin. And it doesn't mean that you no longer are involved in spiritual warfare. No. But you are resting in Christ in the land of spiritual blessing. The major battles with the world, the flesh, and the devil have been fought and won. You're no longer struggling with certain sins. As Romans 6.14 says, sin no longer has dominion over you. Have you experienced this rest in the land of spiritual blessings, or does the enemy still have lots of control over your life? I'm speaking to you this morning as a Christian. Do you know what rest is all about? 